evening we're going to be in 2 Samuel 3. And the last time we saw this slow transition with David, you know, the, God said many times he was anointed, he was going to be the king of Israel. And we saw that he uh, was able to be the king of Judah, one down, 11 more tribes to go. Uh, unfortunately, him ascending to the throne of all Israel was hampered by Ishbosheth, who brought himself up as the king, and Abner, who really was the strength behind that, that king. And of course, they were, it was out of God's will. It was David supposed to be the king of all Israel. And this evening, we're going to look for the break that David's been waiting for. Or is it? Uh, Abner decides to change his loyalties. Sounds like good news. Help David regain the 11 tribes of support that he needed to complete the 12 tribes. However, we'll find that Joab hampers that uh, by murdering Abner and causes problems, of course. So we're going to jump in with verse 1. It says, Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. The good guys uh, don't always win right away, and we know that in the world, the good guys don't always win at all. However, David was on the side of righteousness. He showed a lot of tenacity. Uh, different Bible uh, teachers speculate how many years it was that David actually had to wait. You know, when we wait for something in a few days or a few weeks, that seems like a long time for us. But for David, it was many years. And David, though, he had a mandate from God. And when you have a mandate from God, even though you're getting opposition, you know, you, you, you keep going. You keep following what the Lord has, has told you to do. And you don't waver from that. You don't give up. But the temptation sometimes is to maybe to say, well, you know, God did about 85 to 90 percent, and that's good, but hey, I think maybe he just wants me to finish the rest of it. Whether it's ruling a kingdom, or whether it's being in ministry, or just in life, sometimes the temptation is to finish God's plan instead of letting him finish his plan. You know, I've been there at times where um, maybe I jumped too soon in certain situations, and then looking back, I realized I should have waited longer. You know, God was right there. And I'll come back to that at the end. Verse 2. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. His second, Chiliab, by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third, Absalom, the son of Mekah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. Uh, the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abitai. And the sixth, Ithraim, by David's wife, Eglah. These were born to David in Hebron. Now, <laughs> polygamy, having more than one wife, it's not legal. It's not lawful. It's not even moral. I've talked to, uh, believe it or not, today, even in some Mormon splinter groups, they still believe in multiple wives, and they, they do this practice. And they'll say, well, they did it in Bible times. They also killed people in Bible times. It doesn't mean, it doesn't make it right. Now, the Bible records all history. And it's for us to look into this and say, well, in Genesis, God made one man and one woman. Period. How do you become one flesh with, you know, three or more people? It doesn't happen. Uh, so that's not it. And also in Deuteronomy 17, 17, it was specifically, God specifically in the heart of the law said, don't multiply your wives. Now, he didn't change his mind from Genesis account. But we do find that David had trouble 
because of this practice. And let's explore some of these. And we're we're actually going to go through this as we continue on through Samuel and Kings. But Amnon, which is the daughter of Ahinoam, raped Tamar, his half-sister, and David's daughter through another woman. That was a big problem. Uh, It actually caused Absalom to kill Amnon, which caused an even bigger problem in the kingdom. However, Absalom, the daughter of Mekah, uh, tried to usurp David's kingdom, take it from his, his own father, and without God's permission or without his blessing, or he just was um, too type A maybe, <laughs> but we'll get to that. Uh, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, tried to take the throne in David's later years. So these were all his sons, and they all caused him problems, but they were from multiplying wives. Right? So, you know, there's a, there's a um, it, well, it's not an expression, but it's a, a verse in Numbers 32, 23. I love this. And there's some context here, but it says, be sure your sin will find you out. Now, that's, that's sobering. I, I like to look at that and read that for myself. Because if we get away from God and we start pulling away, and it's subtle. You know, the road to perdition is a very subtle road. It's a, there's a gradual decline. You know, it's not a, a slippery, greased up, you know, shoot where you can say, whoa, I'm not going to step over there. It's very subtle. It's very gradual. It's like a 1% grade but eventually it'll get you to that destruction. So be sure your, your sin will find you out. And David's sins did find him out, and they caused him problems. Verse 6. Now it was so, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. So Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David. And you charge me today with a fault concerning this woman. Well, as you can see, you know, we, in our culture, we can be dog lovers, but to be called a dog's head was an insult. <laughs> Usually anything that had to do with a dog was an insult. Uh, so this is a, a, ver- a very heated discussion between Abner, who was the captain of Ishbosheth's army, and Ishbosheth, who was the king. Uh, of course, not the the, the, bless- the blessing uh, position, but it's a position that he took with Abner really propping him up. So this, there's a practice back then, and I believe it's very important to put into the practices. You know, to go into the the history books, to go into the, you know, the culture at the time, because a conquering king would go into the king he conquered's harem, or the successor king, that king was dead, he would go into you know, a group of ladies and he would have relations, sexual relations with them. And this was symbolic of being the successor, or this was symbolic of being the power behind that kingdom. So this wasn't just, oh, I think she was cute and and this is what I'm going to do. This was a purposeful act if it occurred, and we're going to explore that. The problem was Ishbosheth was king, not Abner. Okay? Verse 9. He says, May God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. After all these years, all of a sudden, he's concerned about the Lord's will. We'll talk about that to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. He feared him. Now, for somebody like Abner, he was fighting against the Lord's will. 
because he was the strong power behind Ishbosheth. The strongest person in that northern kingdom was Abner at the time. And even though they are doing evil, they know in their hearts that they're doing it. You can see this in this confession of his. But there's a few things that we can look at, three scenarios that could be going on here. Abner did do this thing that he was accused of, really to force Ishbosheth to, to have an excuse to push him to the other side. That's one scenario. The second scenario is that he didn't do it, but it was the last straw because the accusation really offended him, so he decided to change sides. Or three, which I believe it was, that he did do it. However, he was irate over being challenged. You know, Abner had this maybe vision of himself being, you know, maybe he didn't submit and uh, didn't submit the northern kingdom because he didn't want to be under David. Here, he could just do whatever he wanted. So the third scenario is that he actually did do it. He wanted the power. He made a statement, but he resented the fact that Ishbosheth challenged him. Verse 11. Ishbosheth is the king, and he's afraid of Abner. Here's the problem with, even in our own lives, you know, sometimes we'll group up with a stronger personality, and, I don't know, maybe they'll be our attack dog in certain situations. Maybe it's something we don't want to deal with. Maybe it's a battle we don't want to fight. And we're looking for allies. And here's that slippery slope again, where we start to choose people to fight our battles for us. The Abners of the world. Attack dogs. What's the problem with an attack dog? Sometimes they turn on you, right? And, and here's that situation. So Abner tells Ishbosheth of his intentions, and Ishbosheth does nothing because he was afraid of him. Could have had him in prison, could have charged him with treason. He did nothing. And we'll see. I think Ishbosheth is really a poor sap, and we'll see what happens to him in the next chapter. Uh, verse 12. Then Abner sent messengers on, behalf, on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. And David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you first bring me shall. Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife, Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, from Paltiel, the son of Laish. Then her husband went along with her to Behurim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, Go return. And he returned. Kind of a sad picture. We'll explore some of this. Um, David had some admirable qualities, and some qualities he had weren't very admirable. His issue was with the whole Michelle thing is she was Saul's daughter, and because David you know, won some battles for the king, he granted David Michelle as his wife. And Saul was very fickle. At one point when he was really paranoid and, and really hated David, he took away Michelle from David and, and betrothed her to another man, and she got married, and you got this guy here. This is what happens when you deal with sin. David had a wife. Wife was taken from him. So what does he do? He takes her from the other man who they were kind of living together and married and, and it gets really messy. It almost becomes like a soap opera. But this is what sin does. You know, sometimes we read about the stories and we're like, oh my goodness, what a mess. I mean, who would want to be in those positions back then? But, you know, two wrongs didn't make a right and David certainly had enough wives. He didn't really need another one. But there was a statement to be made. This was a, another worldly practice that we look at. Again, it's cultural. 
It doesn't mean it's right. It was a worldly practice. When I say that, I mean it's not a good thing. Because if you look at verse 3, David took the daughter um, of Talmai, who was the king of Geshur. And in those days, you would take other wives from kings, maybe their daughters, so that you would keep good relationships between nations. Sort of like this United Nations thing, you know, you had a daughter from each land and, and she became in your harem and it just got really messed up, sinful, screwed up, and uh, this is the situation that you have. Now, taking of Michelle, what does that tell us? Could have been political. Michelle represented the northern kingdom. She also represented Saul's dynasty. So in, in saying, oh, I want my wife back. Again, she's, he's, how many does he have? It's starting to accumulate here. You got the tally going. But he's saying, hey, I'm very friendly to the northern kingdom. I'm going to take good care of her. You know, um, I, you know Saul, I, I didn't consider him as an enemy. Remember, I said worldly practice. And these worldly practices hurt David. And these worldly practices hurt Christians as well. Yes, to several thousand years later, as Christians, sometimes we do things or we do practices. We get involved in things in the community or in the Christian community because all the other churches are doing it. But maybe it's not right. I think about ecumenism, getting together for the sake of getting together. If the core beliefs about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are off, you know, the deity of Christ, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, these are some serious bullseye issues that we really can't have that ecumenism, that close um, fellowship if they're off on those subjects. It's stumbling to our church people. You know, when we're trying to find the right thing to teach, and we're hooking up with these other groups that, don't, that believe weird stuff. Another one is in the political season. Some, sometimes, as Christians, we lose our minds with this stuff. You know, it's a horse race, for heaven's sake. Eventually, God's kingdom is going to rule, and these guys are all going to be sitting back on the sidelines. And if they're in Christ, they'll be a part of that. If they're not, not good for them. God is in control. You know, even whether it's the, listen, there's problems with both camps, whether you're a liberal or you're a conservative. Problems with both camps. Because Jesus is not on the ballot. And that, that's a thing we have to look at. But, you know, do we get so far into our family values or, or our candidates that we forget that there's biblical things that we should be doing with our lives? You know, is our life uh, a, a, a facade of doing you know, doing, doing, doing. Well, they're having events, so we have to have events. And you get caught up in this vortex, but maybe we're not close to the Lord. I just, somebody gave me a letter, very sad. I'm not going to say who it was, what church. A pastor wrote a letter to his congregation, read it. He stepped down. He was a good man. But what happened was he wasn't adultery or taking money. He just said, over the years, I've learned to become a Martha. And I've forgotten to be a Mary. I've forgotten to sit at the Lord's feet. And when I read this letter, I'm like, I'm making copies from my, my staff and say, let's not fall into this, to be at his feet, you know, to, to not get into these worldly practices because it's important. This is a heartbreaking picture. Here's this guy, Paltiel. Obviously, he loved Michelle to the point of following her. I mean, crying his eyes out. He loved his wife. And uh, eventually, they tell him, go home alone. All right? Verse 17. Now Abner had communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then, do it, for the Lord has spoken of David, saying, 
By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. Then Abner also went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron. All that seemed good to Israel and the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. And David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. I would have, I don't know, maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe he, if you spoke up, he'd kill you, throw a spear at you. But you've got to wonder in that meeting, some of the people listening might have said, what's the change of heart, Abner? Abner, why all of a sudden you're putting your lot in with David? You, you were so big into us being separated from them. Um, but this is what's going on here. Abner's politicking for David. He's making sure there's a smooth transition. And some people do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. And that appears to be the case with Abner. Others won't do the right thing until they've been personally hurt or they have some skin in the game. You know, others, and, and you see that today. How many do you know? They won't take a side. They won't get involved. They won't go on the, the right side because, well, they didn't do anything to me. It's self-preservationism. And, and Ab- Abner's one of those people. In verse 18, Abner says, the Lord has spoken. Again, how about all the years that he had spoken that you didn't do what he called you to do? It is very frustrating to see people pretend to cloak their support for the Lord or the Lord's will when it's convenient for them. You know? And, and that's what you have. Now, Abner and Joab, they both had weaknesses. Now, see, the funny thing is they both were physically strong. They both knew how to go out and get the job done. You know, they both were dynamic uh, individuals. They both had high positions, although uh, it, they were competing against each other. However, I mean, Abner, it was great to have his influence, to influence the other 11 tribes. For Joab, whenever Joab went out and did, did something, he was pretty good at it. He comes in with the spoils of war, we read. Um, But sometimes it's too easy to trust in strong personalities. Too easy to trust in strong personalities. Just like the whole thing that I told you about Mary and Martha, sometimes it's too easy to trust in ourselves when we're get-the-job-done type of people, when we're Martha type of people. And I believe that in our Christian walks, there's varying levels of trusting the Lord. I think it's, a, it's a, you know, an inverse relationship. When we really trust in people, really in our hearts, the trust for the Lord has gone down. When we really trust in the Lord, we rely on less on people and more on the Lord. So it's this inverse relationship. And hopefully as we mature in Christ, we get more over to the side of trusting the Lord over people. Verse 22. At that moment, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. See, Joab's another one. He's a go-getter. He's a doer. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent them away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away, and he has already gone? 
Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in and to know all that you are doing. And when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner who brought him back from the well of Sirah. But David did not know it. Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. So Joab, he hates Abner. He's still not letting, he's still not forgiving him for killing his brother Asahel. But the truth is, Abner gave Asahel every chance to not fight with him. And the problem was, Asahel was so fast, like they said he was, he had, you know, like a deer, the way he, he ran. He was going to catch up with Abner, so Abner eventually had to turn and fight Asahel, and he killed him. But Joab held on to this anger, this resentment, this unforgiveness. And boy, when you hang on to that, it could eat you alive. And if we've been Christians long enough, all of us have experienced that in some way. You know, this burning, burning. There's a, a quote that, that I, I heard that said, um, it says, when, you, when you're in unforgiveness, it's like continuing, continually, continually swallowing poison, easy for me to say, and hoping that the other person dies, Right? So this is burning in Joab. It's a bad decision that he makes. And there's a lot of things uh, that are going on here. Obviously, Joab is saying to David, and we don't know what the response is. He's kind of giving it to David. Why? Why is Abner here? You know, he's just spying you out. He's going to deceive you. But Joab was being hypocritical because he looked for an opportunity to kill Abner. Joab also may have been insecure. And, uh, or that little insecure moment. And insecurity will do bad things. Now, two things that I think about that can really ruin us in addition to unforgiveness is insecurity. We do stupid things when we're insecure. And jealousy. We do evil things when we're jealous. Right? A lot of, a lot of smiles out there. Um, what makes it worse is that Hebron, where, he, where Joab kills Abner, is a city of refuge. God set up these cities of refuge all around Israel. So if you were accused of killing somebody, you had a place to run. And if you got to Hebron and you got into the gate, you were supposed to be protected until the trial. So there couldn't be a, a revenge type of murder, which is what happened here. So Joab really had no concern about God and his law you know, for kill, killing him like this. So Joab, he accused Abner of deception, but he practiced it himself. I have to tell you, our sins look better on, on our, ourselves than somebody else. You know, My sin of, of the same thing, if me and Harold are having the same sin, looks a lot better on me than it does Harold. From my perspective, from his perspective, it looks a lot better on him than it does me. Right? So Joab is, is being hypocritical here. But Abner also reaped what he sowed. He reaped what he sowed. He had selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is a work of the flesh. He had blind ambition. And that, that it literally blinded him from judgment. Now, verse 28. And afterward, afterward, when David heard it, he said, My kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and all his father's house, 
And let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper, who leans on a staff or falls by the sword, or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. So David finds out and he washes his hands of it. He even pronounces a curse on the family, but he still keeps them in his military, doesn't he? <laughs> Again, don't, I, the longer I'm a Christian, I look at these characters and I'm not too judgmental because we are human. Many thousands of year, years later, maybe we're not fighting a war with actual swords and clubs. We do stupid things too. And it's all there as a result of not trusting the Lord or not trusting the Lord enough, not giving our full trust to him. Right? And that's, that takes time to, to learn how to do that. Uh, so David pronounces a curse on Joab's bloodline. However, they're related, right? a few removed. Uh, David finds out too what a difficult job it is to be the king. He hasn't even ascended to the full throne, and there's already been several murders uh, that, that directly uh, affected his, his cabinet, so to speak. A lot of bloodshed. You know, it's hard to imagine, even today, being a, a president or a king, engaging, and it's got to be agonizing to engage in sending your military somewhere, or you know, even what we've seen recently, sending an ambassador somewhere into hostile territory, making decisions. You know, then Senator Barack Obama was very critical of the president. Now he's the president and everybody's second guessing him. You know, and whoever, whether he does another term or, you know, or or Romney takes it over, they'll second guess him. This is just the way it is. When you're in leadership, you're going to be second guessed. Uh, And it's not an easy job because there's a lot of things to look after. I mean, even being a pastor, it's when you, when you, you say, oh, I just want to teach the word and love people. Well, there's a, there's a lot more that comes with the package. And you're like, oh, really? I got to do this? I got to do that? Well, I didn't see that. Uh, so it's, you know, it's just the way it is. Verse 31. Then David sent, said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. So they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor your feet put into fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him again. Now David compels, forces everyone to mourn. For Abner. David, uh, I guess maybe it it was a good point that he often, even those that try to hurt him, or, uh, you know, he was, I think he was quick to forgive. He had compassion on those that consider themselves his enemies. Uh, He had respect for those that were on the opposing side. He he didn't want to, he never wanted to take King Saul's life. Uh, He let God deal with that situation. But we see this lament of Abner. Uh, not much different from the lament David had for King Saul and his sons. Remember that Middle Eastern culture, uh, it's maybe something different than we see in American culture. Middle Eastern men were not afraid to show their emotions at times, and, um, you know, or to, at a funeral to really pour out your heart and put something together. But number one, he says, should Abner die as a fool dies? Translation is, he shouldn't have died like this. Uh, two, uh, he, he, did he die as a convicted prisoner? where there was a fair trial given, no. 
He said that you know, his feet wasn't put in fetters and his hands were not bound. And three, the last line, Abner did die, however, because wicked men took his life. But again, he kept those wicked men still on his staff. No court-martial that we know of didn't remove him. We'll see that Joab stays for quite a long time on his, in his army. Um, here's the question, or here's the point. Be careful who you think that you need. Now, if we all stop and take a moment and ask ourselves, do I have an Abner in my life? Do I have a Joab in my life? Do I have a friend or a relative that maybe God is trying to do something in my life, but they keep getting in the way? Or I keep putting them ahead of God's plans. You know, I like the feeling of having somebody that protects me or looks up to me or is part of my fan club. Be careful of that. Because God will let us have us over to our sin. And I believe God is always willing to say, I'm here. You know, when I pray, I often pray, Lord, one of the things I pray and I thank him for is that anytime I open my mouth towards him, he doesn't put me on an answering machine, he doesn't have customer service, pick up the phone. Whenever I turn towards the Lord and pray, he's always there to listen to me. He's always there to listen to all of us, and he's always there to hear our cries and to try to solve our problems. I really believe, and I think the scripture bears it out, that if, we, if God keeps wanting to help us through our situations, and we keep saying, well, you're taking too long, let me get a Joab or an Abner or my mom or my spouse or you know, this good friend of mine, and if we keep putting them as our Joab and Abners, God's just going to say, that's fine, here you go. Let them fix your problems because you know, God's not going to take second place. He's not going to take second place. I think that's uh, definitely another scriptural maxim. Verse 35, last few verses. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat food while it was still day, David took an oath saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it and it pleased them since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. Then the king said to his servants, last two verses, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king, and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. Sometimes we got to like really meditate on what's being said here. You're like, hmm, what's he trying to say here? So David, A, wants to make sure everybody knows this wasn't his thing. It wasn't his order to kill Abner. And David knew also that Abner at that time represented, was one of the representatives of the northern kingdom. So David came so close to taking the whole kingdom over, he certainly wasn't going to let this act by Joab get in his way. He probably wondered sometimes with all this nonsense going on if he would ever be king because there's always somebody messing it up for him. Verse 39, he says, Am I weak and they are harsh? Now, I think what he's meaning here is that, is that he tried to show mercy. He tried to show compassion. He tried to show long-suffering. But, man, there were just people in his cabinet that were overzealous. Maybe if I paraphrased it, he would be saying, These guys are driving me crazy. <laughs> you know, It's hard to to rule when these guys are doing this stuff and they're doing it behind my back. But in the case of Joab, sometimes people think they're doing you a favor and they're really hurting you instead. 
But as we wrap up this chapter, this can't be overstated enough. Be careful who you think, who I think we need in this world. And I mean, it's always good to bear each other's burdens. It's always good to be encouraged. But what I mean is when we put the full weight of ourselves onto that person, to lean on them excessively, because that is reserved for God. He wants that position in our lives. Two, again, there's varying degrees of trusting the Lord. We often see David when he's at a low point in his life, and, and it's good, he often snaps back quickly. You know, he repents, he, you see him, he's praying to God, he's earnest in his prayers to the Lord, but I didn't see him praying through some of these decisions. The alliance with uh, Abner, multiple wives, leaning on men of the flesh. I didn't see him praying through that. Maybe if David waited, similar to Nabal in 1 Samuel 25, and also similar to King Saul, and these were two examples where he did wait, where he did show self-control. God took Nabal, and God allowed Saul to be uh, killed in a battle. So maybe he would have opened the door as well to David's ascendancy without having to lean on these guys. But are we any different? I have to tell you, there's been times in my life where I've seen God do 90%, 95%, 98%, and I had to give him that extra little boost of 2%, and it it caused me problems. (laughs) And it's a learning process. It's a learning curve. And I'll tell you this, that sometimes when you're waiting for a while, you, start to get, you get used to waiting on the Lord, and you're really in a groove. You know, you're really jiving with the Lord. And you're like, you know what? That's okay, Lord. Whatever your will is, I'm ready. And then you get real close, and you know it's right there. And you're quick to jump, you know? You, you, like 99% of the way, just give him the last 1%, and we've got to jump into it. So it's right before something's going to happen. That's when we really have to avoid that temptation. Three, it's inevitable. Inevitable. As we grow in the Lord and mature in the Lord, we're still going to love people. We're going to want to fellowship with people. We're going to want to be encouraged. But we'll learn not to lean, and I say this in a spiritual sense, all of our body weight on people. That's reserved for the Lord. And four, lastly is that my prayer this evening is that we look at this. And so, hey, what can we take home, Pastor Joe? This happened thousands of years ago. It was a different time. It was a different nation. They were in war. None of this stuff applies to me. All of it applies to us. Because as we go home tonight, that we would look at this and say, maybe ask some honest questions of ourselves. Do I really trust you, Lord? And how much? And not be afraid of the answer he gives us. So... Uh, just want to encourage you, encourage me, that as we grow in Christ, no matter what stage we're at, that we learn to trust the Lord more and understand when we're supposed to act and when we're supposed to wait. Let's pray.